1: Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Meara, Democratic pollster with GBA Strategies. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you The Polls, driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So it's Wednesday... There was a big primary and special election night last night, but we were releasing the show on Thursday because we have some cool embargoed stuff, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. But we are, or at least I am, a little weary from, from all these pri- – there are only two, I think, two more big primary nights left. So, so there's one next week and one in September. Well, there's there's Florida. Right.
0: Uh, August 28th. Oh, so, Right. Um, So I get back. So, uh, dear listeners, I will be gone for the next two weeks, but I will be with you in spirit because we're going to try to bank a couple episodes today. We've got a great interview that we recorded uh, that I don't think we have released yet. Nope. Is that one still in the can with our secret, very special guest? Yes. So you will still have me in your earbuds. I will be with you in your car or wherever you listen to fine podcasts. Uh, but I'm going on a trip and I'm going to get back the day before that primary. And I'm so glad I will be in the U.S. for it. Because Florida's my home state. Yeah. It's going to be crazy. There are lots of primary. I don't know if Putnam I... Biden versus DeSantis. I, yes. The Democratic governor's primary. I mean, there's the so the tweet much. about
1: Tacoma Park that's really going to clinch it.
0: I was just <laughs> telling that story. I think I was telling it to Perry Bacon yesterday <laughs> as we were walking out of CNN. I was like... I love Adam Putnam, like, but I got this one email from him this one time that not from directly from him, like, in the way that a campaign fundraising email is not directly from the candidate, but that mentioned Tacoma Park. And I was like, I'm the only person getting this email that knows about, like, liberal socialist enclave Tacoma Park. Yes. Thanks, Margie, for enlightening. (laughs) How does this all
1: relate to me? Okay. So, what what are the top lines this week?
0: It's midterm mania. We'll talk a little bit about Ohio 12, Kansas, the generic ballot. What is going on as we approach ever closer to November? Are we 100 days out? By the way, we're We're less than that. Less than 100 days out because it
1: was 99, and people had a whole people like spend a day. Start the clock. Get the countdown going. Recently,
0: yeah. Uh, Then we'll talk about Trump defectors and Trump converts. You might be surprised at how the makeup of Trump supporters has or has not changed. Then we'll talk about the more with the media. Uh, Donald Trump has always made the media an issue. Uh, We'll take a look at some polling about what voters think about uh, whether the president should have any power to stop the media from doing what they're doing. The results might worry you a little. Uh, then how many ostrich jackets does it take to collude in an election? We'll talk a little bit about Russia. <laughs> and finally, uh, local food, a topic near and dear to my heart since I just harvested my first peppers yesterday. I'm going to harvest my finally. neighbor's peppers in their
1: absence soon.
0: Do you want to harvest the peppers of my house while I'm gone? I should have brought a key over here in been like, yes, two weeks from now. Can you please take the sure. peppers off my... Off my vines. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'm qualified for that job, but I can, can nonetheless volunteer. No, well, never stopped me from volunteering they are for things before. They're quite slow growing. <laughs> with it already being mid August, and I'm just getting my first peppers. Don't ask. Right, we'll, t- we'll, we'll talk, talk about it later. We'll talk
1: about that. Okay, so first poll of the week. There was so much happening this week, Tuesday night, um, Thursday, when you're listening to this, the big story or at least one of the big stories that lots of people spent a lot of time talking about was the special election in Ohio 12. Um, That is a seat that Republicans have held for decades. A Democrat hasn't held that seat in, you know, in a a very long time. It's a seat that Trump won. But yet, you know, you had it still, you know, it, it hasn't been decided yet. It still ended up being a tie despite Trump's endorsement and going to the, going to the district and having an event with a Republican candidate. And, you know, I think you could say pollsters. Can take a bow and including, I should say, our own firm, my colleague, Jason bravo, McGrath, who bravo. worked on this. Um, if you look at the um, 538, this is from 538, right? The list of all the public polls. And you could see our own polls, the GBA, as they got closer to the election, the race got narrower. Lots of other folks also released polls that showed the race a toss up. And indeed, it was a toss up.
0: Yeah, this is if you take a look, the most recent poll that was released is this Emerson College one that fielded August 2nd through 4th. It has O'Connor. D plus one, that is not a polling miss. Like this is if I if you listeners take anything away from this episode, they said this race is going to be close. We have the Democrat up by one. But that that means that the range of real outcomes is there's a 95 percent chance that the real outcome is going to be D plus, you know, four or five or R plus four, you know, so. Remember, polling is a probabilistic exercise. The fact that they got the margin within two of what it really was is extremely good. Especially for a special. Oh, these are the most challenging. There was nothing else
1: happening. I mean, these other states,
0: there's, you know, there was lots of stuff
1: happening and people expect that there's a primary. This was a special. Ohio already had its primaries. This was a special just in this district.
0: Yeah. So uh, Monmouth, R plus two, a poll taken at the end of July. What you want is did the public polls tell a story effectively that accurately represented kind of what we saw play out. And what we saw were the polls saying this was a race that closed as you got closer to the end. It was going to be a nail biter. And it was a nail biter. So kudos all around. And again, just because a poll said, oh, well, it was D plus one and it wound up being R plus one. No, no, no. That's okay. That's what polls do. Right. It told you that the race was going to be close and it was close. That's how these work.
1: Yep. So we should just be clear at at the time that we're recording this race is not decided. There are still provisional ballots being cast. There's 1,754 votes between uh, O'Connor and Balderson. So this is not final as of right now. Um, And so I I think that, you know, obviously it's good for whichever side ultimately wins this seat. Winning a seat is good. Not winning a seat is less good. That said, this is still very very clearly a warning sign for Republicans that this seat was as close as it was. The other thing that's important to note here um, is that outside spending was you know, probably five or six to one on the Republican side to the Democratic side. There was a lot more spending on the Republican side. And is that something that is sustainable for all the other races, the districts that are like this one that are Trump held? We're not even talking about the Clinton, the you know, two dozen Clinton held seats that are top tier targets. The,
0: that's all Democrats need to flip to take the House. Right. Take so, tw- one more. Take the 23 Clinton districts and then one more.
1: So it, now are, are, the, are the Republicans going to spend? Outspend Democrats five or six to one in all the seats that are that are Trump held that are R plus you know in double digits you know to, uh, Republican advantage and and then does that mean that they're not going to invest in the Clinton held seats and so how's that going to go so so that this is clearly a warning sign wherever this ends up
0: so one thing that I thought was really interesting Steve Cornacki took a look at the the Metro Suburb versus Rural Ex-Urban Divide uh, and tweeted this out uh, this morning, this morning being Wednesday morning. Um, and he notes that, so you've got the piece of Ohio 12 that is in Franklin County, which is Columbus the sort of immediate suburbs it's this more you know the kind of area where people have said oh Republicans are going to really struggle and here you wound up it's a place that like Democrats have you know Obama won this by three then Hillary Clinton won it by 18 then O'Connor just won it by 31. so you see that trend line right of that piece of that county oh wow your, your jaw just dropped as I read that <laughs> that is really massive but here's the other switch is that, And I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of this not being from Ohio. Muskingum County. It's Zanesville. It's the rural part of the district. I apologize to any listeners who live there if I just butchered the name of your county. Uh, In 12, Obama won that piece of that county by 0.15. It's barely. Then Trump wins it by 29. Then Balderson wins it by 33. So it's this like... Massive divergence from like both of these places were narrow Obama places in twelve that have now become one is O'Connor plus thirty one, one is Balderson plus thirty three.
1: Right, but the move on the Democratic side is larger than that shift from Trump's performance to Balderson's performance. Yeah, the
0: overperformance compared to Clinton, right, is much greater. Balderson was like a little above Trump's numbers. Right, 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 right. Uh, but I, I just that tweet stuck out to me. It's now, like, how whoa. much do you think
1: is that from Balderson saying like, you know, oh, we don't want someone. We from don't Franklin need, We County. don't need the Franklin County. Pro tip. Pro tip to everyone listening who's running for office, Make sure the county advice. is in – don't do that if the county is in your district. You can free maybe do that the if the county is not in your district. But,
0: but yeah. Um, so <laughs> what I think is fascinating, though, is before this election, uh, before the special election, there was a lot of talk and chit-chat about what type of district is going to be the more challenging district for Republicans to hang on to. Is it a district that has – a lot of these kind of like affluent suburbs, you know, a place like, like Georgia 6, right, the type of district where Republicans hung on with Karen Handel, um, you know, you're kind of – I don't want to say country club Republican, but I'll I'll say it because people kind of get what I mean by that. Um, you know, this is just like upscale, college educated. Is that the type of place where Republicans are going to struggle because those voters are bleeding even further away from the party? Or will Republicans have the biggest problem in these districts that are actually replaces Obama won and then Trump won them by a ton and then in specials like they've swung back. So like Connor Lamb's district. You know, they, they, I, I, somebody I'm not going to give credit where due. There's been an analysis that I've seen floating around that shows the biggest swings toward the Democrats have actually been in these like Obama-Trump districts. Mm. Now, part of that's because they have kind of further to fall. And these are places where voters have a habit of voting for Democrats. Trump was this weird anomaly. Now they're reverting back to old voting patterns. This is a point in the category of, like, Republicans need to watch out for these not necessarily Trumpy areas, these sort of affluent suburb type areas. Those are the districts where there's going to be the biggest problems.
1: I mean, look, you know, how many more data points do we need to see where this is is headed, right? I mean, you have... You know, if you look at all the places where Democrats overperformed or did well, you know whether it's Georgia, South Carolina, Virginia, Alabama, Pennsylvania. Here, I mean, that's you know,
0: that's a lot. But the NRCC would say, and this is also correct, that I believe they've won eight out of nine of the special. Like I think the was is the Connor Lamb one, like the on the House side, right? Is Connor Lamb the only loss? Hmm. Like the. And so Dave Wasserman, I'm I'm basically just narrating my Twitter feed at this point. I apologize. Dave Wasserman, Cook Political Report, noted that... Oh, I'm looking right at the tweet. So, Elliot Schwartz, NRCC. It's this crazy stat. NRCC has won more special elections in the 2018 cycle than in any cycle in their history. (laughs) True fact. True (laughs) fact.
1: Uh, That's what happens when you have so many Republicans retire, right? (laughs) And there's the context.
0: Uh, So, then you have Dave Wasserman replying, This is true, yet it's hard to remember when so many victories were such a bad omen for a party headed into November. So, anyhow, that's it's the You can look at it glass half full, but there are a lot of other ways to look at it glass half empty. If you're a Republican, yeah,
1: I mean, you know, uh, look, and we could talk about some about the other races, or we could move on to the other stuff. But you know, I I think still in the end. all, all of these are warning signs for Republicans. You see a lot of folks providing – I mean, this is an interesting conversation, which we don't talk about a lot on the show, which is how do people publicly speak when they do this, on, depending on – even folks who are operatives, how do they speak on the record about what the chances are, right? You have a lot of Republicans who say, frankly, on the record, like every Republican needs to run as if – You know they're. You know this is. You say
0: Liesl said it, and then I stole it from Liesl. Right. Like everybody
1: needs to be running like they have a real race, whether they you know think they do or not. And you see millions of variations of that, of that kind of comment. You uh, from Republicans, right? And then you see some folks like red wave is coming, everybody, which is just you know that's harder for people to really buy that that's a real thing. You know that's just like just trying to wave the flag for your side.
0: Yeah. So there's also was a special election in or not a special election, a primary in Kansas yes. last night. And you have you said your your Woo-hoo! email is lit this morning.
1: Yes. Yeah, so team team Kelly. And we released um, and, you know, we, we've been doing, done some work for uh, Senator Laura Kelly, who won decisively in her Democratic primary, Republican primary. It looks like Chris Kobach is up uh, currently, at least, you know, where we are today. He's up over over the incumbent governor, Jeff Collier. And, uh, but regardless of which candidate it is, uh, you see a lot of public polling that shows people are very united in Kansas and that they don't want to continue, um, the failed brownback experiment. So whether it's Collier or whether it's Kobach, I think they both offer something similar when Laura Kelly is really committed lifelong mission on education. Anyway, I'm very, I'm very excited about her. She's really a really fantastic candidate, great person. And, uh, you know, it's another example of Trump's, endorsement, you know, does it help or hurt? I don't know. Is he, He's like he's not the kingmaker. He's the tie maker. Right. Because, I mean, in Ohio, couldn't really get You know, it's not like he could really solidify that district for that. He won for Balderson and Trump endorsed Kobach. You know, all the public polling showed Kobach up in that primary. You know, he's he may win, but it's going to be it's going to be tight. So uh what does that mean in terms of Trump's endorsement? I don't know.
0: Well, let's talk a little bit about Trump, his job approval right now sitting right about 43 percent where it's been hovering since the spring. Uh, there is some exciting new data coming out from the Pew Research Center. Uh, the reason why you're getting this episode on Thursday at 10 a.m. or later is that we have uh, an embargoed copy of this that we uh, they have been kind enough to send to us so we could talk about it on the show and then send this directly to you as soon as the, the poll That's right. is, is public. And we love it when you do that, pollster friends. Yes, we honor embargoes. Yep. We're super secret. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, we'll keep it in the vault. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, so, in this,
1: although I did allude to it in a meeting, I was like, "There's something embargo that people will find relevant to this conversation." God, this
0: God is crazy. And I was like, what? It's what? It's crazy. <laughs> um, so, what they've done. So, this is a type of question that Pew has asked. Is one that a lot of researchers use when something like favorable, unfavorable, doesn't quite. Make sense or capture what you're really looking for in terms of how someone feels about a person, right? So you can say, "Are you favorable or unfavorable to someone?" And you know, if you if you're voting for them, like you might feel weird saying, "I feel unfavorable," or you know, I've seen this used in surveys where um, people are asked about their views of uh, vi- various groups of people. You know, how do you feel about? christians or muslims or things like that where you don't want to say like well i'm unfavorable to christians but you can say like mm, i'm not very warm right. i don't feel super warm toward them you you know, people you can use it kind of as a way to get people to express that they don't necessarily love something that they might feel uncomfortable saying i flat out disapprove right. of or don't like so this feelings thermometer question pew studied validated voters in 2016 so I assume they matched this against the voter file right. to say, so we know these that they people voted. voted. Right. Uh, and they have they reported voting for Trump. Uh, and I assume this is this is a panel study. So these are uh, is or is this a panel study? Let's see. From their American Trends panel. So it's they it's people who are validated as having voted in the 2016 election and who said they voted for Donald Trump. Um OC methodology for details. Gosh, should have read that before we started. Okay. This. Well, All right. Well, <laughs> well, what it is is look it lo- looking at, at Trump voters. Okay, tell, tell us if this is a <laughs> longitudinal study or if it's like a new new crop of people each time. They found that for people who said, "Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna vote for Trump," um, that. Initially, there were a lot of people that were like, yes, it's from the trans panel. It's from the trans panel. Mm-hmm. OK, they said, you know, I'm going to vote for him or they wound up. They voted for him. But like they did not love him in April 16 when he was, you know, 43 percent felt very warm toward him. But you had another 22 percent were like, "Eh, yeah, OK, I like him. I'll vote for him, whatever. And then you had a. a not insignificant chunk of people who would go on to vote for Donald Trump who were like, uh, don't not really crazy about this guy. Right. Um, so then you get to post election, and all of a sudden the people who voted for him are feeling very warm about him. He won. He's now got 63% of his voters feel very warm toward him. 24% feel somewhat warm. That neutral. Cold bucket has really shrunk down. So then the question is we're in, they re ask this of these folks in March 2018. Do you think that people have gotten warmer or colder towards Trump since the glow of the election has faded? And what I hear all the time, and there's all of this discussion about, well, hasn't the Trump presidency driven people away? are all these people, oh, they've seen what the Trump presidency means? Don't you means? regret it? Don't you regret it? Like the number of times people have tried to like, I'm going to go find these Trump regretters. There's not a ton of them. So in this study, they find that right after Election Day, 63% of Trump voters were very warm toward him still 62%. Uh 24% right after election day were somewhat warm. It's only shrunk down to 20%. That for the most part you have people who actually feel warmer towards him now than they did at some point pre-election. That like they didn't love voting for him necessarily, but now that he's been in office they feel a little better. So Pew has a chart where they it's it's a chart of like these different quadrants. Oh, no, the quadrants didn't make it into the script. Margie, you talk. I'm going to find the quadrants. Yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you could see over time. I mean, what was incredible is how, you know, the stability among the people who were enthusiastic toward him, the stability of the people who converted. There were folks, I mean, a sizable number of people who went from being like somewhat cold to saying they were now, you know, on average on 85 on a 0 to 100 scale. And then there's this group of skeptics, which is pretty small, you know, which is those sort of folks who have kind of always consistently been against him who maybe had a slight boost to around neutral, but have been kind of under 50 this entire time since April 16 to March 18 but this sense that there's this you know huge group of people who moved away from him these regretters who are like well I was with him but then I see X Y and Z and now I'm not with him that group is pretty small there are more people who are converts than people who've moved away from him
0: yeah this is the this is the quadrant chart that I was I was hunting for that you have you know, these folks who – the the idea that there are these folks that started off warm, I like Trump, he's going to be my guy, and then he got in office and they didn't like what he did, is super teeny tiny, whereas the group of people who started off thinking, I don't – I voted for this guy, but I don't know how this is going to go, and have been pleasantly surprised, is at 23%. And then the enthusiasts have stayed, you know, it's 59% who they liked him at the beginning, they still like him now. There's 12% who they didn't like him then. They voted for him, but they still don't like him. But I think there's this whole conversation that happens about, you know, blind spot. Oh, well, don't all these people who voted for Trump now regret their decision? They've seen what's happened. And this is data confirming what anecdotally I've heard in focus groups, which is I hear all the time in focus groups of Republican-based voters, people that are like, I was not crazy about voting for this guy. He was my 16th out of 17 choice in the primary. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, I made do. And now, like, the economy's doing great. And so everyone's yeah. always
1: out to get him. Why is everybody – why is exactly. me out to get him? which I'll we'll talk about a little bit, right? Yeah, so, so this
0: data just confirms what people have been looking at me like I'm crazy when I say all along. So thank you, Pew, for helping me to show the world that I am not crazy, just from a self-interested perspective. I,
1: you know, I think more – almost more than the fact that there are more – converts than regretters is the size of the people who are consistent skeptics. I think that seemed a little bit small. I don't know if there's something about the cutoffs they use or the points in time. You know, I'm I'm not sure. But there's something that about that, that size of that group seems just a little small.
0: Well, yeah. What I, do you think? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, look, the... In this poll, I mean, the other thing you're doing is I, the way they're methodologically figuring this out is, you know, they're asking people to give these kind of temperature ratings. Yeah. So you don't even have to say the words like cold or warm. So, I mean, I assume that there's some noise that gets introduced into this whole situation anyways because you're asking people to give this like number between zero and 100. So, um, but I, I I will say the one thing that... Uh, Republicans should be worried about in this is that, A, just because Trump is hanging on to all the people that voted for him does not necessarily mean good news for the midterm when he's not on the ballot. Um, And it doesn't necessarily mean good news for those sort of swing voters who, you know, it doesn't mean that you have won back a whole lot of those people I mean you've got some converts but you still have a chunk of republicans that are that are cold toward him and you have this somewhat warm bucket that I think is yeah. interesting. Yeah. So there are there are no Clinton voters that have like warmed up to Trump. Right. That's not a thing that's happened. Yep. What has happened is there were skeptical Trump voters who have now come to embrace their vote. Yeah. Um but you still have about 1 in 5 Trump voters who Say they feel warm toward him, but they still have their reservations. Maybe these are the people that, in my focus group say, "Uh, I like the economy, but I, he doesn't act very presidential sometimes. Like maybe those are those folks. Right. But Trump is so focused on talking to quote unquote, his base, and I don't think he's always very good at talking to those folks. And so what happens if the economy is not growing at more than four percent and unemployment is less than four percent? Like what happens when that falls apart and Maybe And if it doesn't, then he'll probably be fine. But the economy sometimes can be a funny thing. Well, then I'll just do, you
1: know, more bullying tweets. Um. Okay. So anyway, folks, should take a look at it. It will be live a Pew, and we will link to it as always.
0: Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online, so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates.
1: Um, Speaking of things that, you know, Trump's supporters might – be enthusiastic or interested in. There have been a couple polls that have come out in the last week or so that talk about Trump's relationship to the media. Um, this is something that's been in the news quite a bit over the last couple weeks. You've had a lot of reporters who've been talking about some of the um, some of the calls and comments, and you know what what they hear from you know from folks at Trump rallies and and is. Trump creating some kind of toxic environment where people have a toxic relationship with the media, something that the media obviously covers since it's about themselves. But it is worrying as, you know, seeing lack of trust in, in all of our institutions. Um, so there is a poll that this was done by Ipsos. And they asked some of the questions like, how favorable or unfavorable are you toward a variety of different media outlets? And that shows kind of what you'd expect about, you know, the Weather Channel versus, you know, Breitbart, right? I mean, those things aren't a surprise. Um, But then they ask some questions here that, um, and this was the one that really surprised, I think, some folks and made some news. Do you agree or disagree with these statements? And so they had freedom of the press is essential for American democracy. And across party lines, everybody agreed with that. Reporters should be protected from pressure from government or big business. And for the most part, the parties agree, although Republicans feel that way a little bit less so than than Democrats, but still majorities across the board agree. Uh, Most news outlets try their best to produce honest reporting. There, there's a big difference by party. Okay, Um, so that stuff, I think, is what you'd expect to see. Here's another one. The president should have the authority to close news outlets engaged in bad behavior. Well, then 43 percent of Republicans agree with that one and 12 percent of Democrats. That one's a little surprising. Um The news media is the enemy of the of the American people. About half of Republicans feel that way. 12 percent of Democrats. Another question. President Trump should close down This name's him should close down mainstream news outlets like CNN, The Washington Post and The New York Times. Twenty three percent of Republicans agree with that. Eight percent of Democrats. I mean, that number seems kind of high for Democrats, but um, you know, sometimes these questions, people are like, sure, great, right? It's one of those things where people kind of enjoy the thrill of saying yes, you know, to some of these these answers. There's probably some element of that, Um, but they are worrying nonetheless. Well,
0: let me offer a, not a counter, but the bad behavior is a very uh, open-to-interpretation yes. term. Mm-hmm. So if you are a news outlet that is engaged in, like, genuine, like, libel, there are legal avenues right. through What's which... What's bad behavior? I mean, Would you mean
1: to your Uber driver? Or were you, like, did you, like, smuggle... Did you, you know, embezzle money? Did you, you know,
0: have not fact-check ex- something? Ex- what, what does that mean? your sources against their will and therefore put them in danger? I mean, like, there are things that are bad behavior... That, again, I, I'm I'm not arguing that this is the right position, but I am saying it doesn't necessarily mean everyone who said yes to that is thinking, oh, news outlets who write mean stories about the president. Yes. He should be able agreed. to shut them down. Yeah,
1: agreed. So, agreed. Um, Bad behavior is I not. I
0: do think that President Trump should close down that, – that that one about he should that's be able to close specific, down mainstream it? outlets and names them, that's, kind of, that's, the, <laughs> that's the scary one for me. Like, Yeah, that's pretty specific, isn't it? Uh, but, you know. It's less than a quarter of Republicans who say yes. So you may be horrified that there is any proportion of the country who believes this, but it is less than a quarter of Republicans. So that's why I believe that a lot of this is like, to your point, the rhetorical like, yeah, get him, get him type stuff. And then you see those numbers really fall off when it's like, well, should should he just close them? Then you get less than a quarter of Republicans saying yes. Yeah. Um, So I I talked about this a little bit on real time with Bill Maher this past week. And uh, this was something that I think uh, Ariel Edwards Levy noted on Twitter that like this whole Republicans not liking the media thing. It's not new. It's not new. Right. Uh, I remember when I was working at the Winston Group, we were doing polling for Newt Gingrich's presidential campaign um, and that he really surged in South Carolina after the debate where he, you know, tried to take a sledgehammer to... Was it John King? Yes. And we're, like, headed to yes. tape John King's show right there. You know, the thing was, lots
1: of people reported at the time, too, like, at the dance of, of New Gingrich being, like, the press, rah. And meanwhile, you know, people report, like, after after these debates, like, New Gingrich is out, like, you know, schmoozing it up with the press. Like, it's not like he is actually an enemy of the press. Like, he's, like hi,
0: I love you, the press, well, you know, that's we That there's a whole Mark Leibovich book out there about this, you know, kabuki theater nonsense. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, and then in 2008, like we had Sarah Palin and the lamestream media. I mean, and I do remember being pretty ticked off at the time about the way I felt like the media was un- being unjust in its treatment of Bristol Palin, who at the time was like a teenager going through this, like, crazy nonsense and i remember feeling like my first real pangs of like oh the media is making me really mad because i felt like they were being super unfair to this teenager going through this yeah. like traumatic situation yeah. and i thought that was just not okay but then of course it it the whole situation spiraled into something else but yes anyhow you know sarah palin and the lamestream media like this has 10 years ago this is literally 10 years ago yeah it's been a long 10 years. Yeah,
1: but this still you know in the in the bucket of questions that you that I have not seen before. The president should shut down CNN, Washington Post, New York Times. Like, I don't think I've seen that polling question before. It's a bold one. And, you know, not a lot of people agreed with it, but somebody did. And so that's quite – it's quite
0: something. Final thought from this poll that I thought was interesting. They asked, do you consider the following to be trustworthy or untrustworthy? Uh, bottom of the list, Breitbart. Second, Daily Beast. Although this is just showing total trustworthy. You could have a lot of people saying, yeah, I don't know. i so, sure I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so I want to be cautious about, you know, going after the people at the bottom of this list. That's That's not the intent. But – the Weather Channel, top of the list. Ninety-one percent find it trustworthy, including 91 percent of Republicans, 95 percent of Democrats, and 91 percent of independents. The weather is not yet
1: partisan. What surprises me <laughs> is that it's not yet partisan because this is— But right. the Weather Channel does occasionally say, like, yo, climate change is happening, people. Right. we the Weather Channel. Yeah.
0: One hundred percent, which is why I think this finding is super interesting. And as someone who dabbles in Republican environment land, right. uh, just a valuable finding— to throw out there into the universe. Plus, who doesn't like Jim Cantori? He is the best. All right. Let's talk about this Russia election meddling. Um, so we have now gone from did the Trump campaign have contact with Russians? Went from no to yes. But then it was like, well, but the contact was about adoption. And then it was like, well, no, actually. Uh, here are these emails where this, like, record promoter guy is saying we've got dirt on Hillary Clinton oh but that's not collusion that was just a meeting that didn't turn into anything now we've gotten to the point where like Rudy Giuliani is out there saying collusion didn't happen but if it did it's not a crime which is a legal matter is technically kind of true but there were lots of things in the orbit of collusion that are totes illegal don't commit bank fraud Uh, don't accept illegal campaign contributions from foreign sources these sorts of things. Don't obstruct justice. Don't lie under oath. All sorts of things in the yeah, orbit of Yeah, like, and if collusion. the
1: tables were turned, I mean, come on. Well, <laughs> come do,
0: on. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to convert me on what the alternate – what is happening like, give on Earth me 6. a break. Because Earth 2 is the one where Jeb Bush is president. Yeah. <laughs> but Earth 6 is the one where Hillary Clinton won the election, and you have, like – conservative talk radio hosts I mean, melting I mean, down about the i mean collusions. obama went
1: out to dinner with his wife and people go crazy like, i mean
0: there's I'm no not, not arguing it, that there you know. is not uh some double standards going on here but uh we have now gotten to the point where the argument is collusion's not a bad thing everybody does it which point of fact false not true yeah. the reason why a lot of these shady characters that you're now hearing about like they they went to work for Trump because they weren't getting work from other like people who wanted more respectable whatever. I'm just I'm just gonna leave it out there that not everybody in this business is shady. It is not all House of Cards. It is not ostrich jackets all the way down. I don't even think I'd want an ostrich jacket. It's very
1: hot right now to think about ostrich. I heard I heard, I heard another podcast that. where they were like, "Wait, is it feathers or is it leather?" And I mean, either way, we should that's an a safari animal that is best enjoyed yep, from a from a safari vehicle and the animal is in its own habitat.
0: So, as of right now, the argument that collusion is appropriate has not taken root. Almost no one, 3% overall, 4% Republicans, only 2% Democrats think that like collusion is fine or that it's appropriate, but that it's not a big deal. You now have 27% of Republicans holding that view. And you have another 42% that just say I don't think Russia tried to influence the election. Which like all of our intelligence agencies says said that they have. That's not like a statement coming out of the DNC it's a statement coming out of the CIA so that's the that's actually the number that still of all of this concerns me more that people just like think Russia wasn't trying anything rather than it does not appear that there has been significant movement on the like well, collusion's actually fine because everybody does it. like we're not at a point where people think it's fine. There are some Republicans that think it's not a big deal, but that's not the same as saying it's appropriate
1: right. And I think it's important, this is something that we saw in the Navigator work in previous months, like, it's important to really specify what we're talking about here, that these phrases of sort of collusion or corruption are, you know, vague, and people think all politicians are corrupt in some way, right? That's it, That that part is true. They think like all politicians do something that they don't like, right? That's been true a very long time. That's still true. So it's important if you're having a conversation about this somewhere to explain what we're talking about here and and also to demonstrate, you know, and this is something that we saw also like this has actually led to indictments and guilty pleas to really kind of reinforce that this is not simply just people sniping at each other. There's an actual investigation that's led to guilty pleas and indictments.
0: So this – there's another poll in here, which this – it looks like this is a YouGov, yeah, HuffPost YouGov, uh, where they also asked these questions about um, the appropriateness of having meetings with someone from a foreign government that is trying to say we have damaging information about your opponent. Is it appropriate or not? Fifty. This poll actually shows Trump voters 56% finding it is appropriate, which is a big difference from that Yahoo survey monkey one, which shows only, like, 4% of Trump voters saying it's appropriate. But I guess when presented with other options beyond appropriate and inappropriate, the SurveyMonkey one gives you, like, four different ways you can go. Appropriate, not appropriate, but no biggie, not appropriate and bad, or it doesn't matter because it didn't happen. Here, you're just saying appropriate or inappropriate.
1: And it's also taking it, like, more hypothetical while the SurveyMonkey one... Talked with, about Russia specifically in 2016.
0: Right. And in this one, you have a majority of Trump voters say it would be appropriate. And 86 percent say most politicians would agree to such a meeting. And the number doesn't really move when they specify Democratic politicians because it's they've already said, yeah, we just think this is what happens. Guys, this is not really mostly what just happens. I'm telling you from me. I'm inside. I'm inside the bubble. Dispatches from the swamp. Yeah. This is not normal. Yeah.
1: I mean, you know, it, it, and it's – and I can appreciate that this whole conversation is asking voters to think a, a lot about a variety of kind of legal and political inside operations that that voters don't typically nor particularly want to think about. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it – I can understand how some, how voters can say, well, doesn't this kind of thing happen? I mean, what exactly is different about this versus something else? I, I could, I can see how you would get there, even if that's actually not true. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't agree obviously with that conclusion, but I could see how you could say, well, like, I just think that they all do something you know, kind of shady, and this is the first I'm hearing about this, but, you know, what's different about it? Um But if you look again, if again, if you really explain and make comparisons and use some of these, you know, facts of what has happened so far, then I think you can make the case a little bit more clearly. But obviously, people are also getting different kinds of information, you know, Um on
0: one channel, they're hearing that this happens all the time. That's true. Uh So if this has all led you to want to drink, we're going to talk a little bit about voters, not voters, Everyone. Everyone. <laughs> everyone can join
1: Everyone's in on this one. thoughts
0: about uh, what they drink most often and how they feel about local food, vegetarianism, basically what are people eating and drinking. Yes. Um, this is relevant to my interests as I am – since I'm going to New Zealand this week – and then going to Australia, there—that's a land of good beer and wine. Yes, this is going to be a real fun trip. Uh, We—I feel like we do this segment every year when Gallup drops these numbers. I'm, I'm and we always, have the same conversation. I'm
1: always game for it. Right? I know wine is always second tier.
0: Liquor has had a rough year. <laughs> right now, wine and beer are resurging. Liquor has has fallen off. Liquor last year was at 26 percent of people said so it was. There. Wait, is that? Yes. Uh, Said it was their their beverage of choice that has fallen to 19 percent. Meanwhile, wine has seen an increase of eight points. Big wine year and beer saw a slight uptick to two remains the champion. Forty two percent of people. I
1: wonder I wonder how this compares to actual sales. You know, I wonder if this is consistent with sales or, you know, sales and whether wholesale or retail. Um, I'm assuming there's no like self-reporting bias and. For any of these, I don't know, but maybe there is. Maybe people want to downplay their interest in liquor. Or maybe they want to, you know, round it up so that it sounds sophisticated. I don't know.
0: Uh, the other thing is there's a percentage of U.S. drinkers who prefer beer by selected demographics. Uh, there has not been a ton of change in the last, like, 18 years in the demographics of who drinks beer. So women Used to be one in four back in the uh, in the aughts. Said that they drank beer. That's now at twenty four percent. So. We are the twenty four percent. Um but there's, you know, not a ton of us. Uh men, that number has stayed about the same, fifty-seven percent in the aughts, fifty-nine percent now. Uh, the age distribution hasn't changed a ton, although you gotta remember with the age distribution, like people are cascading up yeah. through these crosstabs when you're looking at this long enough a time horizon. True. But then there's also not a huge household income variation when it comes to the question of beer. Certainly, th- this is perhaps the only place where there has kind of been some change since the aughts. Uh, previously, it was 44% of those with incomes. Under 75000 a year said they preferred beer. If you were over 75000 a year, it was only 37%. It's kind of all evened out. So socioeconomics of beer maybe have just a teeny bit changed on that front.
1: I, I don't care what the polls say. I am a wine I'm team wine all the way. I'm going to be team wine, even in bad years, even in wave years. (laughs) I'm going to stick with, stick with my team. (laughs) Um, I've never been team beer, even in, even back in my pre, pre legal drinking age, uh, drinking times. Um, Okay. So then speaking of turning to food, there was some similar question. I guess Gallup had like a food and, beverage thing happening. And it, what was interesting about this is um, what people, you know, say that they are avoiding or including. I mean, I think here for sure people are kind of overreporting based on what they think they want to do, what they think they're trying to do with their diet. Um, they had a question thinking about the food you eat for each. Please say if it is something you actively try to include in your diet, something you actively try to avoid or something you don't think about either way. And people really say that they are trying to include vegetables, fruits, chicken, fish, locally grown food, 73%. So they try to include locally grown food, grains, you have 70%, things that people say they're trying to avoid, soda or pop, fat, sugar, salt, all the things that we know people actually include. I mean, I guess the question is, is this question, a series of questions, is it good at capturing, like – what you're trying to include versus what you're trying to avoid, which is what the question says, or, like, what you're actually eating or, like, how successful you are at including versus avoiding. Because, I mean, I think there's a little bit of magical thinking here about what people say they're including and what they're avoiding because we know people eat fat, sugar, and salt, you know, like that. that they, but uh, those yes. are at the bottom of the list of things that people say that they're trying to include. So trying to include but yet include anyway, you know, that's not an answer category.
0: So, Margie, what did we learn this week?
1: So what we learned before we do that, I wanted to just say one more thing to just give a shout out to, like, the people at Tacoma Park. Vegetarianism from the Gallup poll, only 5% said that they are currently vegetarian. Vegan, 3%. And you would not know that if you were to look at the menu options at all of our fine dining establishments in Tacoma Park where <laughs> you could say, like, 30% of them may be vegetarian. You know, 20 to 30% of them. May- we have several we have one vegan restaurant and lots of vegan and vegetarian options and in democratic politics you can't really have or progressive politics you can't have an event without a vegetarian option it is standard because the odds of somebody who has you know who's vegetarian are so high it is like totally standard it's only when you're out sort of in the world doing focus groups you're like oh you have to really specify like okay we need to, we need to have a vegetarian option and people that's when you get into the you know, the rest of the country, people are like, what do you, you mean, like, with chicken, right? So that, that's, you know, that, you can notice it very much in some, you know, some markets. But I was still surprised at that, that 5% Chicken seemed, is not a vegetable. 5% seems a little low to me. But tuna is also not chicken of the sea. Yes. I, you know, I don't know what made me think about that recently. So I, I, I think you. maybe it was, oh, was some place where I saw, like, Nick Lachey was playing, and it made me remember that that wonderful time in our culture. So
0: the reason I was thinking about that recently is the ringer.com did their list of 100 best television episodes of the 21st century. And then they released a bunch of podcasts discussing this list. And the rules for the list were that reality TV could be included. Um, and but you could only do one episode of any one show. So the list was not like six breaking bad episodes, six mad, right? you know, like they'd pick one. So there's like an episode of Vanderpump Rules in there. Um, the argument was, does the list suffer from recency bias? Because technically, the Nick Lachey, Jessica Simpson, Newlywed show was this like... That was a big moment. That was huge. It was huge. And so shouldn't the Chicken of the Sea episode Probably. have been included? By the way, in their article, they mention an, a public opinion quarterly study. Really? Because they named the SNL episode, the, um, I can see Russia from my house episode. Yeah, I am. They named that as the best SNL episode of the 21st century. This was hotly debated. Bill Simmons thought this was incorrect. But, um, they note that people – like, I guess there's some study that shows that you were statistically more likely to have changed your mind about voting for McCain-Palin if you saw that clip. Oh my god! <laughs> I don't know how the study was done. But I'm just reading through this ringer list and all of a sudden it's like, god. according to a study in public opinion quarterly. That's like, good.
1: What? I can't escape this. That's so good. That's so. Good. I saw somebody tweet and I didn't realize that this other thing was happening. Like – Best television episodes of the century by a man who has a three-year-old son, and it was like Paw Patrol season three, episode two, Paw Patrol season two, <laughs> episode one. I was like, "Oh yes, that—that's really—I feel seen by this." <laughs> um, okay, all right. So here's what we learned: Is a good night for Democrats this week? If- portends good things for November. And there are some places where voters may go even farther than Trump. And never mind Trump regretters, I guess we should be looking at Trump converts. Meanwhile, let's stick to the things where we all agree at the importance of alcohol, local food and meat.
0: You can find us on Twitter at, at the pollsters individually at, at Margie Amaro and at www.thepolsters.com, Anderson, www.thepolsters.com or on Facebook, where we have Active debates happening on our Facebook page all the time about the various polls we post. Tell your friends, leave a review, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks. Bye.